Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word once again. We are in the midst of the study of the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Christians that uh, resided in the great city. Uh, the, it was a tremendous it was a tremendous place of government, of culture, of philosophy, and into uh, a city filled with all kind of ideas, all kind of wickedness, enters um, this apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, his movement and journey to the city of Rome is recorded for us in the last couple of chapters of, um, of the book of Acts. And um, this letter would have been written uh, just a little bit later after, after Acts closes out. But it, is, it has been such a learning experience for me. I thank you for being a part and, and encourage you to grab your Bibles if you don't have them with you as we, uh, as we reach a milestone in this letter, a milestone, kind of a pivot point. Um, Paul has been stating why he is not ashamed of the Gospels. It, it, is the, it is the title of our series, Not Ashamed. In chapter 1, he, he tells us that he's not ashamed of, of the Gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And um, now, the very use of the word salvation implies that there is something that we need saving from. Uh, the gospel or the good news, which is what the word gospel means, is the tool, it's the vehicle, it's the power of God for the saving of everyone who would be saved, and that is everyone who believes. And so, as we have, have continued on from that proclamation that he's not ashamed of the gospel, he goes on, starting in verse 18 of chapter 1, through where we concluded last time and where we're going to pick up this time, Paul explains what exactly it is that we need saving from. And so where, where, where he is going, just a little bit of a spoiler alert, it's found in, in what we're calling this message, and that is why the cross matters. Why does the cross matter? Um, I don't know about you, if you're a Christian, uh, you have perhaps read or maybe had people ask you the question, why is Christianity such a bloody religion. Why does, it, why does it insist on talking all the time about the, the cross? And why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And that's it, it, not a new accusation that people make or statement that people make. It was one of the kind of slanderous points used against the early church in the first couple of centuries of, um, of the church's existence. That, um, that these Christians were, were, were consumed with blood. And um, why is that? Why, why do we talk about the cross? Why do we sing about the cross? 
Why do we, this time of year, as we, as we come close to, to Easter and Passion Week, why do we call the day that Jesus died on the cross, as we remember it, Good Friday? Well, we're going to recap just a little bit today as we launch into really a new section of the book of Romans. But this section is built on everything we've looked at, everything that Paul writes. We've, we've said that Paul's not ashamed of the good news, and then he immediately jumps into, here's the bad news. To appreciate the good news, you have to understand the bad news. And so chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, if you had to if you had to uh, reduce it to just a couple of words, I think it would be appropriate to call it the bad news. Um, but beginning where we're going to launch today, we're going to launch with a fuller explanation of why the gospel is exactly the good news. In light of this bad news, in light of this dark, dark, um, painful reality that Paul shares with us, he's got some good news for us. Better yet, God has some good news for us. So uh, if you do have your Bibles, just if, if you would look at verse, um, I'll tell you what, before we look at verse 18 of chapter 1, let's just go ahead and read our passage, kind of let it seep into our minds and into our souls, uh, this good news. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to begin the very ending verse of the bad news, Romans 3, verse 20. And then we're going to read through, finish off chapter 3 through verse 31. Okay? So let's do that now. Romans 3, 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we, are, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised, by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? 
by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, so that's the, that's the beginning of the good news. Uh, Paul launches in verse 21. But I want us to just go back in a little bit of remembrance of where we've been and w- which explains why the good news is so very good. So in verse 18, Paul takes up the explanation of what exactly we need to be saved from. And what that is, is the wrath of God. And he tells us, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So there you have it. We need saving from God's wrath, which is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Of who? Of men, of people. It's, that's a generic, big, big, broad use of the word men. Our first problem, our greatest problem, is against God. We have turned to ungodliness, and that revealed in that is an unrighteousness. Um, Our problem with God brings about or causes problems with our fellow man. And it is important to not get these confused or not turn them them around. Um, Godlessness believes that we can correct our problems by getting right with man. In other words, I, I, look, I look out horizontally and I see wars and I see conflicts, I see murders, I see thefts, I see the cruelties that man perpetrates against other men. And I'm rightly bothered by that. But one of the effects of godlessness is trying to fix the problem of of man against man sin or man against man crime without addressing first my problem that I have committed crimes against God. It's the effort to... Fix things horizontally without getting the vertical fixed first. And, I, and, and it's sad that, unfortunately, you look about many Christians, many churches, many denominations are guilty uh, of attempting to try to live a re- religious lives apart from God. Or they rubber stamp religion with this zest and zeal with getting matters right with my brothers and my sisters. Now, <coughs> I don't want to be confused here. It is really critical that we, that we address the issues of men, that men have with other men, that, that we have with, amongst humanity. But I just keep coming back to... Um, while we do have a problem with our fellow men, our fellow man, our greatest problem is with, is with God. 
That's our, and we have to get that right first and then address the issue with our fellow man. Um, and of all people to do that, it, it is incumbent upon those who are Christ followers, are God followers, are, are people of the, of, the, of the Lord to do that. If we can't do it, if we, if we won't do it, how can we expect anybody else to do it? But it's easier to cast our eyes outward instead of upward. It's just easier. Uh, there's less accountability if I, I can, if I can shun God. There is uh, perhaps in some minds, there is less uh, possibility for embarrassment if I just leave God out of the equation. But remember, when pressed upon uh, by of, of Jewish Pharisee about what is the greatest commandment, Jesus' response was, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Get that order right. We must love God that enables us. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, no man will ever love his neighbor as himself until he first loves God. And that's where Paul begins. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. We commit unrighteous acts because we are ungodly. We choose to live our lives separate from our Creator, separate from God. So in this, in this section of bad news from 118 to 320, Paul explains that um, instead of loving God, man has rejected God. Instead of worshiping God, man has become worshipers of idols. Instead of honoring God, man in his rejection of God has practiced dishonorable things in dishonorable ways. And so it just it just gets bleaker. It gets, it gets darker. Um, but what he's doing, and today we arrive at it, is he is leading us to the pure water of the good news, that in which he is not ashamed. He exposes first the bad news. He even points out that those who trusted in salvation by obedience to the law, salvation by religion, salvation by good works, by uh, my own effort, that these people are in trouble, that they do, they practice such a belief in such things in vain, all right? Which lands us back to chapter 3, verse 20, where we began our, our reading for our passage today. Um, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Not only can keeping the law, the Old Testament law, not only can um, 
a dependence upon God's word, scripture, holding it up as just a means of living a good life. Not only can it not save you, what he says when he writes, since through the law comes knowledge of sin, and he's going to come back to in verse 31, is that the law was never intended to save us. The law was never intended to be a roadmap, to be a pathway of you obey this, and God out of your obedience will save you, will make you his own. The purpose of the law was and is to expose my sin and your sin. In other words, in its perfection, as Scripture is, in its perfection, it reveals that you and I are not perfect. We cannot keep it. So, <coughs> so this is where we are. Um, for me to be saved from God's wrath, which is being revealed... I need something outside of me to save me. Something that, because I cannot keep God's perfect word, his perfect law, that's the purpose of the law to say, you can't do this. I need something outside of me. We've repeated this every week we've studied Romans. I need something outside of me that must happen inside of me, otherwise I am without hope. I will remain eternally lost. Let me give you a, a, a picture of this. About 15 years ago, um, the Appling area, what we call the CSRA, we had a massive ice and snowstorm. And um, one morning, and I knew that the roads would pro were probably still iced up. The temperature was in the twenties, but I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to see what was going on with with our church campus. Hadn't been here because of the ice for a couple of days. Everything was shut down, so I decided to risk it, and um, I was on the the main stretch of road that you have to travel from our house to reach the church. And I'm just driving quite slow down this road when all of a sudden my tires hit a patch of, of ice. And uh, couldn't see it. I suppose it's what you call black ice. My car spun out and I went down into a ditch, a deep ditch on the side of the road. And um, I... Uh, after kind of shaking the cobwebs out of my mind and realizing what exactly has happened, uh, I came to the, to the realization that I'm stuck here. <laughs> I, tried to, I tried to hit the accelerator and, and, and drive out of the ditch, but it was too deep. My car could not move. And I was totally helpless, totally helpless. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking out things out. You know, do I try to walk back a mile to my house? Do I go to some friend's house? What are they going to be able to do for me that, it may, that is closer? Uh, their house is closer than mine? I just, I don't know. 
And I'm just, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, but I don't know. Well, at that point, a friend of mine, a member of our church, drives by in his big old truck, right? And he stops and he says, you're in trouble. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I could have, the, the sarcastic side of me wanted to go, no, duh, I'm in trouble. But the uh, appreciative side of me said, man, you're a sight for sore eyes. And, um, and his name is Frank. And he, Frank, didn't hesitate. He gets out of his truck. He goes, he's got the right rope. I mean, it's this thick rope. He's got the, the hook that can go up underneath the back of my car. He, and he doesn't ask me for anything. I mean, it's not like, okay, Frank, what can I do here to help you save me from this ditch? He just does it. He does it. He does everything. And he gets back in his truck and he pulls me out and voila, I'm on the road. And I'm good to go. And it, it occurs to me that that is a picture of, um, of how God's salvation works. And, and Paul is going to use a word here in this passage that we are looking at today. And he's going to use it repeatedly. And it is the word faith. I exercise faith in Frank and his ability to pull me out of a physical ditch. And Paul is going to write that the good news is bound up in God's provision to pull us out of the ditch of our ungodliness of our unrighteousness, the ditch of our sin. So, that happens at the cross. That is the significance of the cross. So, I, I just want to, in the minutes we have left, I'm going to mention about five things that are bound up in our salvation that are the result of Christ. Death on the cross and how God uses the death on, on, his death on the cross to make us his children. So, here we go. First of all, God has shown his salvation through a righteousness apart from the law. God has shown his salvation through a righteousness apart from the law. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Um, God is going to do a work. He is going to do something that will make unrighteous men right with him. People that are not right before him because of their sin, he is going to make us right and he is going to do it. Here's the fingernails against the chalkboard of the religious, um, the, 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 the person that seeks salvation by religion. And that is, it is a part, it's manifested apart from the law, i.e. apart from the works of the law. Even though, he tells us, 
The law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is nothing new. It's not like the Old Testament teaches, this is so important, it's not like the Old Testament teaches one path of salvation. God reaches the end of the Old Testament period and says, you know what, this ain't working. This salvation by people trying to to be perfect by obeying the law, it's just, man, I'm misguided in never thinking that would work. I'm going to turn to my son. And I'm going to send Jesus in, uh, in a virgin, and he's going to live, and then he's going to die on the cross. And we'll, we'll make this the alternative way of salvation. No. No. What Paul writes here, Paul, who is a Pharisee, who is this n- incredibly knowledgeable Jewish man, says, this is what the Old Testament screams of, points to, preaches, this is not a new idea, all right? So, God has shown his righteousness through a righteousness apart from the law. Here's the second reason the cross matters, and that is his salvation comes through Faith in Christ. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice that this salvation, which comes through faith, there's that word, it comes through faith in Christ to all who believe. In other words, apart from faith in Christ, there is no salvation. It is offered to all, right? Why? Because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. It's offered to all because it is needed by all. But it is given by God only to those who believe in Christ through faith. This is not merely a, an, an, an acknowledgement of the facts of Christianity. It is a heartfelt, a mind understanding, a heartfelt, a soul changing faith in Christ. Salvation comes through faith in Christ. Here's, here's the third reality about the cross, why it matters. Those who believe, those who exercise faith in Christ are justified. Verse 24, they are justified by his grace as a gift. They are justified by his grace as a gift. Now Paul is, uh, Paul is about to use um, several words here. He, and and I, I want to just take a moment to, to, to address the significance of these words. As we talk about the significance of the cross, if we're going to be honest with them, we have to use the words associated with the cross. What actually happened at the cross? We sing tremendous hymns and praise choruses Um, about the cross, but do we ever really call time out, take a step back, 
look at the word of God and say, God, what exactly happened at the cross? What do you tell us you did at the cross? The first word I just want to mention is one that we uh, just address, and that is righteousness. Righteousness. That it is through the cross, it is through what Jesus accomplished at the cross. <coughs> Excuse me. When I, in faith, trust his sacrificial death, receive him as Savior, then there is a righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that is applied to me. That is, the theological word is imputed unto me. That even though I am, I am unrighteous, God applies the righteousness of his perfect son to me so that he sees not Steve in his guilt and his unrighteousness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ upon Steve. Okay? Now, the second word is what he uses, is the word he uses here in verse 24 when he writes that we are justified by by his grace. Um, justification is not a process. Um, one, of the, one of the differences in Roman Catholicism and evangelical Protestantism, one of the things that Martin Luther fought for, uh, it's what changed his concept and understanding of God and who he is and how he saves is that um, Roman Catholic theology teaches that justification is a process. We call, we call that process sanctification, where God is making us, changing us, turning us, making us holy, conforming us to the image of Christ. <coughs> but what Scripture teaches is that justification, this is a legal word, it is a declarative act where those who are guilty are declared in an instant not guilty. Our record, a record of sin and lawlessness, ungodliness, unrighteousness, deserving of the wrath of God, our sin, our record is expunged. Why? Because the great judge has declared us not guilty. Not guilty. And notice in the uh, second part of verse 24, we find a, a, another word that is so significant in our salvation, that we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Justification is a legal term. Redemption is kind of a term of the marketplace. All right. And what I mean by that is um, redeem, to redeem something is to free that thing by paying the necessary price. Um, it would be used for in Paul's time. Um, when someone purchased a slave's freedom, they were redeemed. Um, if someone was to 
pay a debtor's debts and set them free of those debts, they were redeemed. And Paul tells us that at the time of our salvation, we have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. We are declared not guilty by God, the judge. We are, we are justified and we are redeemed. Um, and that redemption, notice, is in Christ Jesus. All right, now I hope you're beginning to see, okay, so why does he keep coming back to faith in Christ Jesus? It is the work of Christ Jesus that is, um, that is brought into my life through faith in him, through faith in what he has accomplished and done. Now here's, here's another word. And this is num the number four reason the cross really matters. And that is the basis for our salvation. The basis for our salvation is Jesus' sacrifice. Is Jesus' sacrifice. Look down with me, if you would, at verse 25. In Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. The basis for our salvation is Jesus' sacrifice. Remember back in chapter 1 verse 18, Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. But now something has happened. But now Christ has been made the sacrifice. And part of that sacrifice <coughs> is he became the appeasement for the wrath that God rightly could pour out on guilty men and women. But when that guilty man or woman exercises faith in Christ and what he has done on the cross, the wrath of God is removed, not because, listen, not because, hey, I believed in Jesus. No, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. <coughs> His sacrifice was so perfect, was so holy, was so sinless. I mean, it was without exception. It was, he had no blight that it, that sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, satisfied. Satisfied who? Satisfied what? It satisfied God, his wrath. Without Christ, one of the things you read about in the New Testament and you read again and again in the book of Revelation is that there will come a day that man who dies without Christ will um, face the wrath of God. Now, Paul's point in 
chapter 1 is that God's wrath is being poured out. Even now, it was 2,000 years ago, it is, it is now against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. And you can see it. You can see how people have, uh, have chosen to worship the creation, have chosen to worship the creature as opposed to the creator. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and his wrath in a real significant way is being poured out upon humanity today. And he explains and shows why toward the end of chapter 1. But if we're going to be honest with the word of God, we have to recognize the fact that there is a day when men who die having rejected Christ, having chosen to go their own way apart from God, apart from the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that they will receive the full issuance of the wrath of God upon them. And um, it is an ugly, it is a terrifying, it is a horrific wrath. That is never sated. It is never satisfied. Because the only one, the only person that can satisfy the wrath of God is a holy sacrifice. The holy son of God. And when I reject Christ, when I choose to go the way of religion, when I choose to go the way of any particular religion outside of Christ, then I am rejecting his sacrifice for me. Are you, are you beginning to see why the cross matters so much? Why there is no such thing as salvation without the cross? There is no such thing as eternal, everlasting life with God. There's no such thing as heaven. There's no such thing as salvation outside of Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a, it's a powerful word that Paul paints here. In, in the, at the very end of verse 25, what he, what he tells us, what he means when he writes... This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It didn't mean that he just, he just said, yeah, those sins don't matter. It's that he waited and, and, and the result of the sin of those who believed in him before the cross, um, they were an expectation of the cross. This is a reference to Old Testament saints who exercise faith. In chapter 4, Paul's going to take up the case of Abraham, an Old Testament saint who was saved not by works, but by faith. Well, Abraham, although he, didn't, he did not, he couldn't explain Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his sins were forgiven by Jesus on the cross. All history looks to the cross. And since the cross, God has demonstrated his righteousness through those 
who are saved by Jesus' sacrifice subsequent to, as a result of, you and me. You and me. Again, I would just say this is why Jesus is the only way. This is why um, we cannot, in the name of appeasement, in the name of being nice to people, we want to be nice, but we don't sacrifice the truth of God's Word and what He has done through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross. We don't make that nothing by saying, oh, you don't need Jesus. When I say any, any belief in a divine being, any follower of any particular religion can know God, I am in essence, and pardon the imagery, I am in essence spitting on Jesus and his death on the cross. I am thumbing my nose, or if you want to be more current, I am flipping a bird to Jesus and his death on the cross. I am making it of no consequence. He died in vain. He died in vain. Well, I I can tell you, Paul would tell you, and most importantly, God would declare to you, Jesus by no means died in vain. So the last thing I want to say, um, and why the cross matters, that Paul actually writes, why the cross matters, is found up in these final verses in chapter 3. And Paul, once again, as we looked at last week, Paul, Paul writes a series of rhetorical questions dealing with the fact that the cross brings about the end of boasting. Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Look down at verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We said earlier, the law, the Old Testament scripture, points us to the sacrifice, a sacrifice that is received in faith, in faith. I just want to close as we talk about the end of boasting that Jesus' death on the cross says to you and me that there is nothing that we could ever do to earn God's favor. It is a complete, absolute gift of God to those who, by faith, trust in Jesus and his death on the cross. For it is on the cross that the sins of humanity are placed upon Jesus. Martin Luther wrote, all the prophets foresaw that on the cross, Jesus became the greatest murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, and blasphemer that there ever was. Our most merciful father sent his only son into the world and said to him, Jesus, you will become Peter, the denier. 
you will become Paul the persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor. You will become David, that adulterer. You will become Adam, that sinner which did eat the apple in paradise. Someone has added on, it's as if Jesus, it's as if the father was saying, Jesus, you will become the husband who has neglected or abused his family. The immoral woman who has wrecked someone else's marriage. You will become the drug addict, the teenager lying to their parents, the hypocrite living a double life. Jesus became all these things and died as the sacrifice for sin so that you and I could be declared innocent. So that you and I could be saved. Chuck Swindoll has written that one of the top, one of the types of person that he admires the least is the self-made man. Well, um, I think there are a lot of us who have tried to reach God by being a self-made man or a self-made woman. And if this message, the message of Romans 3, our passage today, says anything, I hope it says to you that by the love of God, he has prepared and made a way to himself. The way of salvation. It's not the way of the self-made individual. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. It is the way of humility. Jesus exhibited that humility in becoming a man Paul wrote, wrote to the Philippians, and then by enduring the cross, he who knew no sin became sin on our account. Do you, in faith, trust and believe and receive him as your one and only Savior? If you have not, I hope you will. I hope you would at the end of our service, or even now, hit pause and ask him into your life as your Savior, as your Redeemer, as your Justifier, as your propitiation. What a wonderful Savior we have. Let's close out this message by going to him. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you on no other it means than the person of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your amazing plan of salvation that because you loved us so, you provided the Savior. And I pray, God, that we would live in light of a one and only Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Thank you for being with us. Stay with us as we close out our service. We're going to worship the Lord in song. I look forward to you joining us and being with us next time. God bless.